Hi there and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's weekly politics podcast, the Breathless Anticipation Edition. It is Thursday, November 13th, 2014, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm an editorial writer at the Journal, and with me today to talk over some of the big news in Alberta politics are city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. And senior political reporter Sheila Pratt. Lovely to be here. Thank you. It's been a slightly peculiar week in Alberta politics, as the governing Tories and the Wild Rose official opposition gear up for their party policy conference this weekend, and as all four parties gear up for the opening of the new legislative session, which is the first for Premier Jim Prentice this Monday. But it's also been a week in which Alberta's Chief Justice delivered a sharp message to the province about the way it treats environmental activists and property owners. So before we look ahead, let's start with that court case. Sheila, can you start by telling us who is Jessica Ernst and why was she suing the province? Well, Jessica Ernst is a very interesting person and you probably remember her best for a video that appeared on YouTube in the early days about uh, 10 years ago of uh, she's turning on her kitchen tap and she lights it on fire and poof, flame comes out of the uh, kitchen tap. And it was one of the first times Albertans had ever seen that, certainly me, and it was methane was coming through uh, into her well into the kitchen sink. Okay, now, and remind us, where does she live? She lives down in Rosebud, which is east of Calgary and in eastern rural Alberta. And she lives on an old farm, but she actually was a consultant in the oil patch herself. Ah, okay, okay. And and so what did this week's court ruling say and, and how did we get here? This week's court ruling was very significant because it said that Alberta's immunity, like that a government agency cannot be sued, was thrown out the window. Ah, so they had uh, said previously that you couldn't sue them. Yeah, you can't sue the government, you can't sue the regulator, you can't sue public bodies, and that was thrown out on several counts, so we can go into that. She's suing them because for years she tried to find out why her water was suddenly being contaminated by methane and other gases after Encana did hydraulic fracking, and we all know fracking is a big issue these days, uh, was fracking shallow gas wells, coal bed methane wells in her area. And the uh, allegation has always been that the, the gas migrated into the aquifer around Rosebud and into people's water wells. She wasn't the only one with contaminated water. Um, and Canada denies that that has happened. And Jessica says there's never been a proper investigation into whether this was actually the case or not. So she then decided she would um, launch a lawsuit because the government has not properly investigated and did not take proper steps to stop the pollution. So she was seeing both in Canada and the province. But the big victory was against yes. the province uh, and the regulator, actually, because this has implications for the Alberta Energy Regulator as well. Mm, okay. Well, so, Paula, this ruling came from Alberta's Chief Justice, Neil Whitman. What are the political implications here, do you think? Well, it's really interesting because Neil Whitman spanked the province and hard. Um, he said, basically, that the province um, had had bullied Jessica Ernst by going back to court again and again and again to deny her right to sue. And he not only said that she had standing to sue the province, he awarded her, by way of compensation, three times her current court costs. Oh, I mean, that's that's a lot of so money. So not just the actual court costs, but that plus. No, he did that, and he did that punitively to the province to basically say, stop being a jerk. Let this woman's case go through. Now, it's important to note, she hasn't won her case. All she's won is the right to sue the province, and she may well still lose in court. But what she has now is not just coverage of all of her significant court costs, but actually, you know, triple 
what she's put out of pocket. So she and her lawyer are going to be very happy for very practical reasons with that ruling. Okay. And and so what are the implications of this ruling for other landowners who have grievances against the province? Or, or does it just very specifically apply to uh, this, this woman in her case? Well, it's about this particular case because uh, the facts fit this case that she's alleging negligence. And there's lots of things that government regulates in good faith and does a good job on. There's something still might mess up. But in this case, she's saying, no, there was negligence. And that's the reason that gives me the um, ability to, to come forward and sue. So it's it's kind of, a, it's, it's a big breakthrough. It's going to mean government is more accountable. There's certainly a psychological impact here that government will you would think would be taking more care in these investigations because now the possibility of a lawsuit is out there. Right. Well, it remain to be seen how many times lawsuits could go forward. Um, but she's been very, uh, they've been very heavy-handed in the treatment of her, as Paula made reference to the um, to the courts getting their wrists slapped. And also the Alberta Energy Regulator in its previous form, the ERCB, actually banned her from having any um, correspondence or discussions with the board because they got tired of her bringing forward more and more evidence that they didn't like to see. So she's going to the Supreme Court of Canada next month to get that ruling overturned because it in it uh, violates her freedom of expression under the charter. Okay, and I should ask, do we know, is this the final leg, leg of this particular matter or could the government now appeal this up the ladder further? They, they could appeal. We're okay. waiting to see if the government will take this to the Court of so, Appeal. Right. Okay. Yeah, this Which, is a Court of Queen's Bench decision. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Neil Whitman is the Chief Justice of the, you know, the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench. Uh, now, that the Court of Appeal trumps him. For the Court of Appeal to hear an appeal of a decision from the Chief Justice would be quite an interesting political situation in and of itself. I mean, the Court of Appeal doesn't like to second guess the Chief Justice of all people when he issues a diktat of this nature. Ah. But, you know, what, what's really interesting here, the government argued all along that, oh, you know, if you let her sue us, you know, thousands and thousands of people will sue us. Now, that's not necessarily the case. A, it's really, really expensive to to sue the government, um, you know, and to sue anybody, and, and you know, and people aren't going to get their court costs necessarily covered. So there may not be a, a floodgate of cases, but it's a really important, you know, technical precedent because it says that the government cannot be held um, exempt from being sued in civil court, and that's a, a very landmark ruling. So could the court of appeal hear the appeal just because it's such an important ruling? I guess that's possible. But they can only hear the appeal if there's a convincing argument that Whitman made an error in law. Mm. And it's going to take some moxie for the Court of Appeal to say, oh, yeah, Chief Justice, he messed that up real good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we will keep an eye on this case as as we have over the years. But I was... I had kind of forgotten about it. And I was surprised to see it pop up again. But yeah, obviously... she's been fighting for years. I mean, this this court case was launched in 2007. And it's only just now three times she's tried to bring it forward. And finally, yes, resolution here. You so. know, I mean, and, and again, she may not win. I mean, the argument all along that uh, that doubters have made, you know, the, the, the argument was, well, this is a province with lots of methane. Sometimes methane contaminates groundwater, and it's got nothing to do with the fracking, you know, that there's always been high levels of methane in that area. So well, that, we will see. You know, that's the you know we, the, the case has to has to go to court. But the really important thing is that now she's won the right to hold them to account. Right, and her water is still contaminated. You can still, you can still 
Light it on light fire. It, light it on fire. And she still doesn't know what chemicals in Canada used in the fracking. And apparently the regulator doesn't really know that either. So mm. there's still, a, at least if a trial, would certainly bring out a lot of data that we would all like to see. Mm. Well, it may be a fun party trick. I suspect that it would get awfully <laughs> tiresome very quickly when your water to your house has that problem. Well, we talked about this case coming to a resolution. Let's move to the floor of some various political conventions where there may be a few resolutions. And maybe things will explode. Yes, well, maybe. <laughs> let's, There'll be plenty of hot air. Well, let's, let's hope only uh, metaphorically. Yes, yes. So that the gas Tempers. bags will only be the people behind the podiums. <laughs> All right, now we have, we've done run out of puns. That's, That's right. So both the Progressive Conservatives and the Wild Rose Party are having their conventions this weekend. And in fact, our colleagues Karen Cleese and Miriam Ibrahim are on their way to those conventions already if they're not already there. Um, the Tories are meeting in Banff and the Wild Rose Party is meeting in Red Deer. You won't say Rosies? I wrote in the script for you to say Rosies. I, I was going to <laughs> later. I was just going to save it. But now you've, now you've jumped the gun. This will be Jim Prentice's first convention since becoming Premier. And this will be Danielle Smith's first major conversation with her grassroots members since the party's unexpectedly poor by-election showing. So, Paula, let's start with the Rosies. Do you think <laughs> Danielle Smith has a rough ride ahead of her this weekend? Oh, I think she does. And I think despite the fact that, uh, you know, the party had a big show of unity in the last couple of weeks, all the members of the caucus voted in and said, we're not going to have a leadership review. And there were some major shakeups inside the party, as we as we discussed in a previous podcast. I think she's still going to have a lot of very cranky grassroots members who were led to believe that they were going to get a big breakthrough in those by-elections. And I think despite the fact that she's done some very excellent damage control, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's some rumbling and some grumbling because the Wild Rose is a party that, you know, as we've said before, sort of naturally attracts rumblers and grumblers. Yeah, well, Sheila, what do you think? Do you think that Danielle Smith has, has done enough to reassure her members that she's taking the party in the right direction? Well, I think her problem is it's kind of unclear exactly what the direction is going to be. During the by-election and leading up to the by-elections, it was a party that was all about bashing the Tories, digging up terrible scandals, and many of which were, it was well that they were uh, exposed. But uh, what is her direction going to be, I think, is the question they're going to be grappling with. I mean, she's got to decide if we're not going to talk about the Tory past, we better talk about the Wilder's future. So what is that going to be? How far down to the center is she going to pull people? Um, she's lost Joe Anglin, who was an interesting voice on the environment. So I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And if she's got a great idea, she better put it out there and a firm idea because I think there's going to be a lot of grumbling, as Paula says. Yeah, I mean, what I think is going to be interesting to find out is that the Wild Rose, uh, from my understanding, have most of this convention. It's it's going to be open to reporters. So reporters will, unlike some parties, close their doors. Uh, these folks are going to apparently have them open. So we'll be able to get a, a good idea. Now, there's always doors that there's always there's the convention and then there's other doors, you know, there's other meeting rooms that maybe you don't see. But I guess we'll we'll see what Miriam has to tell us. And how about Jim Prentice? Is he going to just, is it just going to be a loving for this new premier of ours with his pre-C members in Banff? I would say pretty much. <laughs> I'm curious what Paula would say, but I, I can't see it much going any other way. He's just come off, uh, um, you know, great by-election victories. He hasn't yet uh, had a misstep. He's touching a lot of buttons that uh, they want to see touched. And he had his first headline about the airplanes chart that he took is cheaper than the government airplane. So who could ask for more going into the <laughs> that's, convention? <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, he's he's been bashing the Allison Redford legacy almost as hard as the Wild Rose did. You know, it, it's interesting because 
six months ago, that par- six weeks ago, that party was in such complete and total disarray. Their grassroots members were furious. I mean, the, 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 there was all this infighting amongst, you know, the, the, the senior people in the party. Prentice has put out a tremendous number of fires. He's just, you know, stifled all of that. Um, He's Smokey the Bear. He is Smokey the Bear. He is Smokey the Bear, yeah, the bear of Alberta yeah. politics. Yeah. Now, what the challenge for him is, okay, so he's fixed all, he's fixed all the potholes in the party's uh, platform, but now what? Because, you know, as we have discussed, they are looking at some very ugly budget numbers as the price of oil continues to not go up. And No, uh, below $75 this afternoon, yeah. apparently. Oh, wow. So, yeah. you know, they're going to have to make some tough choices. So it's fine for the first few days if everybody loves Jim and everybody, you know, lines up for their Kool-Aid cup. Uh, but, you know... The the honeymoon can't go on indefinitely. And well, you know, he he is in an interesting position because a lot of his uh, policy, it, a lot of his agenda here is about pipelines still, which is not something he can deliver on his own. So of course he's laid some nice groundwork, had nice meetings with Saskatchewan and BC, um, but but in the end he can't pull the trigger and make those happen. So he's still dependent on getting cooperation from others. It's not something he can actually totally deliver on. So what what else is his agenda going to be? Of course, the opening of party conventions are a bit like pep rallies for the main event, which is next week, the opening of the new legislative session. This is Jim Prentice's first time on the legislature floor. Are we getting any signals about what the priorities are going to be from Jim Prentice and his government? You know, not... I thought he'd said that property rights was going to be his first bill, which is a very interesting, yeah, something on property rights, which is very interesting. He said that ages ago when he was campaigning in Southern Alberta, Mm -hmm. it's clearly designed to, you know, appeal to those Wild Rose dominated ridings in the South. He wants to win those people back. And the Wild Rose have their own, I mean, they have a kind of a wacky um, proposal for, they want it, they want a special amendment to the constitution that would apply only to Alberta. To protect, you know, to make property rights in Alberta, you know, constitutionally protected. It's this. I was trying to digest their press release just a few moments ago. I mean, what they're what they're basically saying is that the federal government can amend the constitution to just apply to one particular province. It's very rarely done. I think it was probably done in Newfoundland when they uh, rationalized their school boards. Um, but, I mean. That's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, it, but it's fascinating. You know, in, in light of what we just talked about with Jessica Ernst, I mean, property rights, everybody loves to say they're in favor of them, but the devil is in the details because, you know, in Alberta, where you own your surface rights, but not your subsurface rights, you can talk a really great game about property rights right up until Ancana says, you know, oh, and we're coming to drill on your land because you don't own the stuff under your soil. Mm. So there is a natural tension in Alberta between a right-wing agenda that's in favor of property rights and a right-wing agenda that's in favor of big oil and gas. Mm. You know, it's true, and there's another complication of this. It goes back to the Snellmack era when he brought out the the bills that decreed critical infrastructure, i.e. we must build these um, transmission trans- lines. Transmission lines. Yeah. So you, you don't have to, you know, you don't, this is going to go ahead. And a lot of property owners were very upset about that, that you shouldn't be able to just decree that, that um, we should be able to have a negotiation about where it goes and that kind of thing. But for both the Wild Rose and the Tories, this is a natural uh, tension because, you know, they both want big oil companies 
and gas companies on, you know, giving them money and backing them. And they need to appease uh, rural landowners. And the rights of those two groups of people are going to forever clash in this province. That's just the way the laws of, of this of this land work in which, you know, you can have owned that property since your grandfather homesteaded it in 1880, and you do not own the stuff under the ground. I, th- I think we've also been promised from Prentice in the past uh, legislation on accountability, further uh, information, you know, so we'll see what exactly that means and what form that takes if it shows up in any kind of legislation. And we also saw the health minister today uh, talk about the tobacco legislation. Again, uh, they're going to reintroduce the bill related to flavored tobacco, uh, regulating that further, but it won't include menthol, apparently. That's because, you know, old people who vote Dory smoke menthol cigarettes. Right. Is that what that's about? Well, that's what what Stephen Mandel says that's about. Mm -hmm. I I thought the other interesting signal was the election this week by the Tory caucus of Jonathan Dennis as the Tory party's house leader. Um, Dennis, let us say, will have a very, very different style than Dave Hancock did as the party's mm. longtime House leader. I mean, that's suggesting to me, because Dennis is not exactly known for his quiet diplomacy, um, he's, you know, he's a bit of a, a pit bull in that caucus. And so that certainly suggests that they're going to take a very aggressive stance in question period. Um, I think if, if you make Jonathan Dennis your House leader, that sends a signal. Mm. And, and what do you think for the throne speech? This is always, you know, we always sift through every word of a yes. throne speech looking for signals, do you think, I, I don't know about specifics, but do you think it's going to be bold or do you think Prentice is going to play it safe? What, which way is he going to go? Mm, I think he's a kind of play it safe kind of guy. I think you, he's going to say some nice things about the economy, about Alberta and energy, um, but I don't see any major departures coming no, from this I, you guy. Know, I would have said play it safe too, but then that speech that he gave in Red Deer just last night sounded like he was a bit more fiery. You know, it's really uh, Karen wrote about how he was much more aggressively saying he's going to go after the Wild Rose and not let them define the agenda. So maybe it will be big and bold. You know, it would be nice to see. Bold to the right then. Mm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's not on the moving o- to the left. On the other hand, I mean, he had a very important meeting with a bunch of senior Aboriginal leaders in the Fort McMurray, you know, Wood Buffalo area. Um, he certainly signaled that he wants to try and do something to to address some of the issues of economic inequality and social inequality uh, in Alberta's Aboriginal communities. It'll be interesting to see, though, uh, there's no magic wand or magic bullet for those problems. So it'll be interesting to see if there's anything in the throne speech that, that nods to that. It would be exciting if he said something big about climate change, but I don't think that's going to happen. It's oh. in light of the Americans and and the Chinese coming together I on know, that that's a, kind that's of huge, agreement. Yeah, no, absolutely. That really changes the dynamic. I mean, uh, I'm not sure he's going to be the guy to kick that off, but he does have a lot of environmental issues on the agenda that he has to make statements about, partly on the First Nations issue, which he tried to kick off this week. But what is he going to do on the whole renewable energy strategy, the GHG thing? Those are places he could distinguish himself. But I don't know how he, how he does that if Ottawa is not doing anything. Certainly he did get help today with the U.S. this week with U.S. and China. Well, the next thing on our agenda, good stuff from the gallery. That is a segment of our show where we suggest something uh, that we've enjoyed watching, listening uh, to, or reading that uh, has a political connection. Um, I can kick us off. Mine's pretty simple. It's been a pretty crazy week for me, but I was really happy to see the newsroom come back on HBO. It is that uh, (laughs) show that deals with that television newsroom. um, And it's... I kind of love it and I kind of hate it. And yet I was glad to see it back on TV. Um, It's always got these 
reporters who talk in all these rapid-fire monologues that I gotta say, maybe it happens in TV newsrooms, but I don't really see happening around the newspaper. But I like seeing how they portray issues, dealing, they they start with the, they're covering the Boston bombings and the latest episode and dealing with uh, someone trying to give them highly sensitive security information. So I always find it enjoyable. And if you haven't watched it, it's worth the time, although it will annoy you sometimes. I'm not going to lie. It is a little bit annoying, but annoying in a good way. Paula, you got anything that's annoying in a good way? No, I have something that's charming in what I think is a good way. Uh, (laughs) It's a a website and a Facebook page I've just recently discovered called Faces of Edmonton. And it's, it's inspired by Humans of New York which is a very popular uh, website where photographers go out and take pictures of of New Yorkers who are colorful characters. So what's fascinating to me about this, it's uh, the brainchild of Edmonton um, photographer, playwright, and novelist Shane Woodsmith. And what he's done, um, he, he goes out and he takes pictures of Edmontonians, all different kinds of Edmontonians, every different kind of Edmontonian you can imagine, and they get to tell a little story about themselves. And so I love it because, you know, you get an update every day in your Facebook feed and you see a different Edmonton story. It's really nicely crafted because he's both a writer and a photographer. And, you know, he really captures different sides of Edmonton than, than you know, certainly most people outside of Edmonton don't see us this way. So it's wonderful to see the richness and the diversity of, of the urban fabric that he's captured. And I think, although it's not an overtly political site, I think it sends a really important political message about the kind of community that we've built here and what our values are. Oh, cool. I follow the humans of New York. I'll have to look at follow our own local Faces of Edmonton. Very cool. Faces of Edmonton. Thank you, Paula. Sheila, wrap us up. Okay, I'm going to bring you one or two sweet videos of (laughs) gas, of burning faucets. (laughs) (laughs) I looked them up yesterday when I was writing my Jessica Ernst piece. And uh, yeah, there's a lot out there. And we can even find the original Jessica Ernst one and other people in Rosebud, Alberta, who are dealing with um, fire coming out of faucets. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. We'll we'll link to those, and that'll help put the visual to what we've been talking about at the t- to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to Sheila and Paula for their insights, and thanks to journal videographer Ryan Jackson for this week's video production. You'll find a video excerpt of our discussion at edmontonjournal.com. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion, or if you prefer, you can download the podcast for free from iTunes or listen via our Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepressgallery, and you can also join us there to discuss this week's podcast, the breaking political news, and to recommend some good stuff of your own. I'd love to hear from everyone what they think of the throne speech on Monday. I'll throw out a question. I'd love to get your feedback, and we'll maybe, if we get some answers, read some of those out on the show next week. Thanks for listening. We will be back next Friday in the Press Gallery.